I'm reading passages from two different books this morning, from Ezekiel chapter 36 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 3. First in Ezekiel. Therefore, I say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. And from Second Corinthians chapter 3. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Thanks, Terry. I should say I love our readers of scripture <laughs> the scripture is the thing right it's not the preaching actually it's the scripture that is god's word and so uh, i'm i really value what what you all do and thank you terry for that every time i preach i debate whether i should introduce myself again because on the one hand i i don't get up here that much up front um, but on the other hand i was looking back this week i've been here five years now on staff kind of hard to believe. I still feel like the new guy, but, but I'm not that new anymore. There's been people hired after me. So, um, so it's been five years at Cole. And I, I should say also, I'm, I'm really thankful to, to be able to work at a place like Cole that really values the new covenant. We're talking about new covenant, new covenant living, Second Corinthians, all about the new covenant. I really value working at a place that really values and tries to live New Covenant. Um, it's a real gift as a pastor 
um, and it's a real gift among our leadership. When, when we have disagreement, when we have things that we're working through, there's no, there's no fear. I don't have any fear, at least, that, that some cosmic nitpicker is going to come out and seek me out and, you know, fire me or something. The almighty elder board isn't after me. Um, so I appreciate that. I'm thankful for that. And when I have disagreement, because we have disagreement, New Covenant Living is messy and it can be ugly and all kinds of things. But we have disagreements, but we can talk together through them and uh, discern the work of the Holy Spirit and then listen and follow what the Spirit's doing. And I, I really appreciate um, that about this place because that's really what we're about. Because um, there just isn't a program for spiritual growth, really. And there is no, no um, five steps to perfect ministry. It just doesn't exist. Instead, we follow a holy God a wild and life-giving spirit, and, um, and that's what it's all about. It's messy. New Covenant living is messy and terrifying and slow and full of bumps and starts and do-overs, but it's also full of the awesome glory and grace of the Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, all three working together to give glory to each other until the end of history when every knee will bow to Jesus and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, and he then will give the kingdom back to the Father, and our God will be all in all. Amen. So in the meantime, it's New Covenant Living. We've been in 2 Corinthians 3. This is our second week in 2 Corinthians 3. We've been in 2 Corinthians now for the fall, so a couple months. And two weeks ago, Rod taught us on how we are letters of Christ. And he compared that to, in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul talks about us being the aroma of Christ. Wherever we are, Christ is revealing himself because he's in us. So we are his letters. We are his aroma. But then he dives in, in verses 4 to 6, and especially verse, verses 5 and 6. He dives right into the heart of the new covenant. We are not adequate in ourselves, Paul says, but God has made us adequate. We are adequate with his adequacy. It's not our adequacy, it's his, but he gives it to us. He infuses us with his adequacy. This is the heart of new covenant living right there. God is in us, he's making us new, he's making us adequate to, to the purposes to which he's called us. And then in verse 6, Paul continues to, to explore the heart of new covenant by um, comparing the old and the new. Verse 6, the old was the letter of the law, the new is spirit. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. So this morning, and then next week, um, I don't remember who's preaching, someone else. Um, (laughs) So this morning and next week, as we finish up chapter 3, we're going deeper into the heart of the new covenant. Paul's plan for doing that is to compare, continue this comparison between the old and the new. It may be that Paul's opponents in Corinth were teaching something like old covenant living. We're not really sure. Uh, We certainly know that that happened in other churches where he was uh, writing letters. Galatians uh, is an example of that. But we don't really know what's happening in Corinth that he chooses to do this comparison But either way, Paul goes deeper into what it means that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And he compares the glory of the Old Covenant 
with the glory of the new covenant. And as we just heard it read by Terry, who did such a nice job, because all our readers do a nice job, um, both covenants came with glory, but the new is clearly more glorious because of the place and work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that it's the Holy Spirit that gives life, that brings righteousness, that doesn't fade, and that makes present and visible the awesome glory of God. So before we dive in, let's pray. Father, you are wise and gracious and powerful and loving, and your glory is beyond compare. Thank you for the ways that you have called a people for yourself, that you have saved us from ourselves, and that you are making us new by the power of your Spirit. Jesus, you are good and beautiful and loving. Thank you for coming down to reveal God to us and for dying the death that we deserved. Spirit, you are powerful and life-giving. Thank you for being with us and making us new. Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray that we would see you today, that we would be encouraged and emboldened to live this new covenant life, and that we would worship in awe of your glory. Amen. All right, let's dive in here to 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 to 11. I'm going to reread it for us, not because I do it well, but because we need to have it in mind. If the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. So in our passage today, Paul says that the old covenant, he calls it the ministry of death or the ministry of condemnation. He says that covenant has glory. Now there's a lot that we want to try and understand here about the old covenant. Uh, what does he mean by calling the Old Covenant a ministry? That's a strange term. Why does he call it a ministry of death and of condemnation? What is its glory that it came with? And why does he say that its glory is passing away or fading? Well, just a quick reminder uh, about what the Old Covenant is. The Old Covenant, remember, is Moses, uh, as he led the people out, out of Egypt... God makes a new covenant. Moses is the, the mediator between God and the people. And as he leads them out of Egypt, he's already saved them from Egypt, but he gives them laws etched in stone, the Ten Commandments. And he says, this is how I want you to live. And this is how I want you to live so that things will go well with you when you get to the promised land. And when things go well with you, all the nations will come together and say, what a wise and good and powerful God this God must be. So all the nations will then come and worship God in Israel. That's the idea. It's God's wise, powerful way of telling his people how to live so that everyone comes to worship God. It's, it's a nice evangelistic tool that God is using, the law. So God gives the laws, they follow the laws, everything goes well, glory to God, hooray, that's the plan. Except that's not what happened, as everyone knows. 
God leads the people out, out of Egypt. He gives them the law. They get to the land, and within a generation, they're worshiping other gods. doesn't take very long. Uh, judges, which I know many of you are on women's studies, and you're studying judges right now. Judges is the descent, the long story, the descent of the Joshua generation that enters the land to complete chaos by the end of the book, uh, if you remember Judges well. And I hope I'm not giving away the ending by saying Israel ends in the same place that Sodom and Gomorrah ended. In other words, as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah were, the people of God end up in the same place. Sodom and Gomorrah, civil war, it's chaos, it's completely um, destructive. In other words, we could say Israel failed to live up to their end of the covenant. Uh, it doesn't get any better in the future. Kings come. They, some of them are good. Most of them are bad. The temple is built and they end up in exile because they're so evil. The kings and the nation are evil. So Israel failed their end of the covenant. But God lived up to his end. He said he would be faithful to Israel. He was. He said he would glorify himself. He did. He said he would use Israel to bless the nations. He does. He said there would be an eternal king in Israel. There is. He said all the nations would worship in Israel. We have to get to the new covenant to see how that works out. But he does. All the nations do. God remains faithful to faithless Israel. So... He's faithful, but part of what has to happen in the Old Covenant is for God to remain holy, he has to condemn and punish sin. So he does. When Israel sins, he condemns their sin, and then he punishes them. And for many Israelites, and indeed for the nation, it means death. Okay. So that sounds really glorious, right? <laughs> Condemnation and death. But let's look at what Paul's saying here. Um, Paul says that the, the old covenant came with glory. But it's condemnation and death, so how is it glory? Well, the example Paul gives, remember, is the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, even though it was fading. Okay, now that's some glory, right? Paul walk, or Moses walks into the tent with God. Uh, God is so glorious that... Moses' face shines just for being in his presence, right? And when he walks out, his face is still shining so much that the Israelites can't even look at his face. This story is told in, in Exodus uh, chapter 34, where this is true. Moses walked into the tent, met with God, uh, had a glorious time with God. His face is shining when he comes out, and the Israelites freak out. They were like, we can't. We can't handle this. So Moses puts a veil over his face. So whenever God would go in the tent, he'd lift the veil. He'd get some more, you know, radioactive sun, whatever. And then he'd walk back out. The people would freak out, so he'd put down the veil. All right? That's serious glory. Can you imagine meeting with a being so powerful that your face shines when you go away from him? It's pretty serious glory. Moses' face is reflecting the glory of God. Kind of like the moon reflects the sun, the glory of the sun. The glory faded from Moses' face because Moses wasn't the source of the glory. 
right? He's reflecting the glory. So when he goes away over time, it fades. Moses is not the source. God is the source. So we could say, I think, and I think this is what Paul is suggesting, that the glory of the old covenant is God's glory reflected in the law, in Moses, in the condemnation and then the punishment of sin. Um, All of that reflects the glory of God. It isn't God, but it does reflect his glory. So the glory of the old covenant is a reflected glory. Moses reflects the glory. Israel reflects the glory of God. It's real glory. It does fade, but it's real glory. So God is the sun in this illustration, and his glory is awesome and powerful. You know, you can stand outside for half an hour and get a sunburn, right? On a sunny day, frankly, even on a cloudy day. That's how glorious, that's how powerful the glory of the sun is. The moon is awesome too. It reflects the glory of God. And you've seen those moons when they're low on the horizon and it's bright orange and it looks like the sky is burning. The the moon is also glorious. But you're not going to get moon burn, right? It would take... I did some research on this. (laughs) At some random internet answer site. It would take 28 years sitting in the moon to get the same effect as half an hour in the sun. So you just, to get moon burn, you would have to just sit in the moon for 28 years straight. I'm not even sure that, I mean, that's a really boring, terrible life right there. And yes, I did say moon burn, this is now the third time, because my growth group dared me to say moon burn um, when we were studying this passage this week. So this is for you, growth group, Moonburn. <laughs> I should throw in one more Moonburn, and then we're good. That's enough. The point is that the moon reflects the sun's glory. It doesn't have its own glory. It's real glory. It's not the same as the glory of the sun. The glory of the Old Covenant is God's glory revealed. It's revealed in Moses' face. It's revealed in God's wise laws written on tablets of stone. It's revealed in God righteously and justly condemning sinful Israel. It's revealed when he punishes Israel with exile and death. It's revealed when he brings the people back to the land and gives them time and resources to build a new temple. It's revealed as he preserves a remnant of faithful Israelites throughout Israel's history. It's revealed in his faithfulness and love and in his holiness and righteous judgment. The glory of the old covenant is God's glory revealed in God maintaining the covenant and remaining faithful to Israel despite Israel's unfaithfulness. The old covenant is glorious because it reflects the God, the glorious God who made it. So that's the glory of the old covenant. And put that way, it sounds kind of glorious after all, doesn't it? God's glory is glorious. But remember, God's glory as revealed in the Old Covenant also brings condemnation and death. And it fades because God and not Moses is the source. Paul uses different language here to talk about the New Covenant. He calls it ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, 
And while the glory of the old covenant fades, the glory of the new remains or is permanent. So compared to the glory of the new, the old doesn't even seem to have glory. That's what Paul says in in verse 10. The new covenant that God makes with his people in Jesus Christ reveals a completely overwhelming glory. It's still God's glory. But the glory of the new covenant outshines the glory of the old so completely that the glory of the old hardly seems glorious at all. The glory of the old is God revealing himself, as we've said, his reflected glory, his wisdom revealed in the law. But the glory of the new is a completely different kind. Let's look back uh, at that other passage that Terry read from Ezekiel 36. And this is from within the Old Covenant, interestingly, right? It's this Old Testament passage talking about Israel's need for a new covenant. A couple weeks ago, Rod had... Uh, had us look at Jeremiah 31, which is one of the key New Covenant passages in the Old Testament. This is another very key passage. And actually, Ezekiel and Jeremiah are writing about the same time. So God's Spirit is moving at that time to point out, we need a New Covenant. This isn't working. So Ezekiel is talking to Israelites who are hanging out in exile. Hanging out. I mean, they're horrified and traumatized and all kinds of things. But they're in exile in Babylon, or at least uh, under Babylonian exile. And this is about as low as Israel gets in terms of its history. So there's no land. They've been taken off the land. The temple has been destroyed. And uh, the covenant seems to be completely broken. Ezekiel's constant message to, to the people he's talking to is that God has not abandoned you. He is Lord over all of history and he's in charge of this too. I think that's his message because nobody really thought that way anymore. Everyone thought that God had been defeated. So Ezekiel's message, God's message through Ezekiel to Israel, is this. God will act for Israel. And he makes it very clear in this passage that Terry read that he's doing it not for your sakes, Israel, but for mine, he says. My glory is at stake here. My honor is at stake. So I'm going to act on your behalf, but it's for me. Not because you have done it so well. Not because you've been faithful, because you haven't. But I will act despite you. And then he tells them what he's going to do. He's going to bring them back to the land. He's going to clean them off. He's going to replace their heart of stone. He's going to take that out. And give them a heart of flesh. A flesh heart is one that, you know, beats and gives life. A stone heart isn't very good for that. And then he's going to do something far beyond what uh, any of us uh, could have imagined or deserved. He's going to give his spirit to them. My spirit will be in you, he says, so that you can live faithful, righteous lives. So that you will be the kind of people that can be faithful to my covenant. You will observe my statutes. You will follow my commands, he says. You are being made new, he says, because my spirit is in you. He's going to do the work. It's not your righteousness, the spirit's righteousness in you, but you will live righteous lives. You will be the kinds of people that can fulfill the covenant. 
And then he says, you will be my people. Again, God does all of it. It's not that Israel does anything. Israel sits in exile and waits. God comes and grabs them, pulls them back, cleans them off, gives them a new heart, gives them his spirit. They live righteous lives. And then the covenant is fulfilled. Remember, the purpose of the law was so that all the nations would see how wise God was in putting this law together. And then all the nations would go, yeah, what a wise, powerful God. So now he's going to create a people that can actually do that, that can actually live righteously so that the nations will see and all the nations will come and worship God because of his wisdom, because of his power. So again, God does all of it. The nation has been condemned and dead. Remember this ministry of death, ministry of condemnation. And its glory has faded away. But God says that he is going to raise up the nation, resurrect them. And Ezekiel 37, the next chapter, talks about resurrection. And he will make them new and he will make them righteous. And in Ezekiel, God says that he is the one who's going to do the work. It's not Israel, it's God. He will save Israel from exile. He will bring them back. He will clean them off. He will replace their hearts of stone. And he will give them a spirit. God, through Ezekiel, is showing Israel what the new covenant will be like. It's a covenant where it's all God. He does all of it. For Ezekiel, the new covenant takes care of all the problems of the old. Remember, the old covenant shows God's glory, but led to condemnation and death because of Israel's sin, and its glory faded because Israel could only reflect God's glory. So God brings the people back from death. He raises them from the dead. That deals with death. He's going to make them righteous by his spirit. That deals with condemnation. You no longer have to be condemned. But he does this new thing. He also gives them his spirit so the glory doesn't have to fade. It's not reflected glory like the moon. In the new covenant, the people of God have within us, within them, the source of the glory. God himself is in us, like a million suns running around, giving off the light of the explosive glory of God. It's in us. It doesn't fade. Going back to 2 Corinthians, Paul says, that's the Corinthians. We are the new Israel. That's all of the church living in the new covenant. Look, the old was great. But it was a ministry that led to condemnation and death. And it's true. We can say to the old covenant, it's not you, it's me. Right? That's the pro- you are great. It's, but my problem. I couldn't live up to you. The new is so much greater in glory. That's us. That's the covenant God has made with us. Of course, it all starts with Jesus. Jesus is the only one who could fulfill all the requirements of the old covenant, and he did. He is a righteous representative of Israel. So Jesus dies, he takes Israel's death, and he took our place. Again, so he's not condemned because he's righteous, but he takes our condemnation on himself. He then takes the punishment. He takes the death that we had earned. 
Again, Moses' glory fades. Jesus' glory doesn't have to fade. Jesus is the glory of God. He's the perfect representation of God. In fact, he's God himself. That glory doesn't fade either. So if God stopped with Jesus, that would be glorious enough, right? We would no longer have to die for our sins. But God didn't stop with Jesus. Jesus' blood cleans us off. His death makes a way for us to be right before God. We are no longer condemned to death. But then God gives us his spirit. The spirit is making us into a people who can fulfill the covenant terms. We are becoming righteous by the power of the spirit. So in a sense, to remain living in unrighteousness is to neglect the power of the spirit's work in us. The spirit is in us. We don't have to live unrighteous lives anymore. We do, but we don't have to. And now I want to be clear, and you guys know what I'm saying, but it's never our righteousness. We're not righteous. God through us is righteous. I'm not righteous in myself, but the Spirit in me is making me righteous. The Spirit is infusing us with His righteousness. That, I think, is what Paul means when he says, the new covenant is a ministry of righteousness. It's two things. It's one, it's Christ's righteousness given to us. So that's the declaration of God that you are righteous even though you're not righteous. But then it's the second thing. It's the Spirit in us making us righteous. God is making us into the thing that He declares us to be. Which is always true of God's Word, right? When God says something, it becomes true of that thing. God said, let there be light. If there wasn't light, then there was light. God said, let them be righteous. We weren't righteous, and then he's making us righteous. He's doing the thing himself. That is a glory that outshines the glory of the ministry of death and condemnation. The last comparison that Paul makes in our passage is this fading away versus this remaining of the glory. All glory is God's, right? There is no other glory. Anything that has glory is reflecting or participating in God's glory. Outside of God, there is not glory. But the world is full of glory, or variations of it, or perversions of it. God is the sun, and everything else has light because it can see the sun, or it it lives under the sun. And we can settle for other glories because there are other glories. There are things that try and reflect the glory of God. There are things that, that try and imitate it. But they're just cheap knockoffs. God's glory is glory. Everything else is a cheap knockoff. Or it's a reflection, it's a participation. Uh, marriage is one example of this. Marriage helps us participate in God's glory. Right? Unity and diversity, where two become one. It's like the Trinitarian God where three are one. Does that make sense? Sex is intimate, loving, and within marriage it's creative. Sex reflects the glory of God. It makes us uh, understand God more. It makes us participate with God in new ways. 
But of course, there's all kinds of cheap knockoffs of sex, right? Our world is full of them. Adultery, sex outside marriage, pornography, etc., etc. These are all cheap knockoffs. Like every other college guy since the beginning of the internet, I struggled with pornography through college and a little beyond. And pornography, it tugs at and it perverts our proper longing for God's glory, for intimacy, for creativity, for, um, for acceptance. It's attractive, but of course it's false. Again, it's a cheap knockoff. It's like settling for a laser pointer when the sun is out. It's like, I want to see by the light of that laser pointer rather than by the light of the sun. I mean, what a pathetic decision, right? When God healed me, he used the power of the Spirit. And he showed me what my real longings were. He showed me why I was settling and how I was settling. And then he showed me what my real longing was for, which was for him. And he showed me how he was already filling what I longed for. I thought I needed something else. Of course, God was already filling me. That's a cheap knockoff. The real is obviously so much better. We don't need to settle for the knockoff, in other words, because God is making us righteous. He's already settled everything that we need. He's filled all of our longings. The glory on Moses' face was real glory, but it faded because, again, it was reflected glory. Jesus' glory is permanent because he is the glory of God. The Spirit is glory in us. It's permanent in us. And like the sun, that can actually do damage to us. It's so glorious. It can actually harm us with a sunburn. A moonburn is not a real thing. Yeah, seven. Nailed it. We are the aroma of Christ. We are the letter of Christ. Our strength or self-righteousness or having it all together actually hides the work of God in our lives because the glory is in us. So uh, Paul talks about this later, jars of clay, right? Or in my power is perfected in weakness. We are jars of clay. The glory is within us. It's in here. And so we need to just let the glory out. We need to get out of God's way. The cracks, my brokenness, that's what lets God's glory through. I think that's an astounding point that Paul makes. It's the cracks, it's the weakness, it's the struggles that let the Spirit's glory out into the world, let, lets the glory shine. If we cover up the cracks, if we you know, be all self-righteous and be proud of ourselves and make ourselves all look put together, then we actually hide the work of the Spirit in us. We're actually obscuring God's work when we do that. When the cracks show and when they grow, then the Spirit in, in us shines out of us and the glory of God is revealed. Again, we are jars of clay and it's in our weakness that He is strong. Okay, so the new covenant is more glorious than the old because the old leads to condemnation, death, and its glory fades. While the new leads to life, righteousness, 
And because of the Spirit in us, that glory remains. So let's talk about some basics of New Covenant living quickly. I want to mention three. First, we live worshipful, thankful lives. Christ has died for us. Christ has taken our condemnation and death on himself. He didn't have to do that. He did. So we can be thankful to him. Also, God has given us his spirit where he is making us righteous. He's, he's making us into the kind of people that can fulfill the covenant. And he's revealing his glory through us. That glory doesn't fade. He did all of the work. We did none of it. I was dead. He made me alive. I was nothing. He made me uh, valuable in his kingdom. That's all him. That's none me. None of me? I don't know. So we can live worshipfully and thankfully. In other words, we have no rights before God or anyone else. We can't live as people entitled because we're not entitled. We don't deserve anything. I watch commercials these days and I just want to laugh at them. Of course I don't deserve that truck or to have that great job or, ha or to have a supermodel walk me down the red carpet. I don't deserve anything. Even if I wanted those things, those things are cheap knockoffs compared to the glory of God. Real glorious abundant life is so much better than any of the things you can sell me in a commercial. But they keep telling me I deserve stuff and... So instead, I can use all that I have, all that God has given me, for his purposes. My house, my family, my job, those are all things that he has given me. My family, I can use to glorify him. My house, I can use to serve others. My job, I can hold it with open hands and say, God, whatever you want me to do. Because I don't deserve anything anyway. Okay, so that's one. Worshipful, thankful lives. Two, New covenant living means living dependent on the Holy Spirit. He is the one making us righteous. He is the one making resurrection and redemption happen. He is God's own life and glory being lived out in us. So our job is just to listen to him and be dependent on him. What are you doing, Holy Spirit? What, what are you up to today? How can you use me? That means slowing down, settling down, listening, watching. That means listening prayerfully um, and engaging, prayerfully offering every day and everything up to God. That means listening to good friends, wise friends who know God and know you. It's all about listening to the Spirit and doing what He's leading us to do. And also, God is making us righteous by His Spirit. We're not righteous yet. We will not be fully righteous. We will not be covenant faithful people until Jesus returns. But he's making us into that kind of people. So look out for God's glory. Watch for his work. Live free from cheap knockoffs and imitations. God is making you new. And he is giving you his power so that you can live like you are new. Finally, new covenant living means living in ways that reveal God's glory and not our own. That means letting the glory show through the cracks. 
Here's the deal. The only way, we, we are vulnerable, helpless, pathetic people on our own. That's just who we are. So the only way God doesn't get the glory is if we try to fill in the cracks. It's our vulnerability. It's our helplessness. It's our brokenness that allows God to reveal himself. When we hide our brokenness, we make it look like we live under a ministry of condemnation. When we look down on others in self-righteousness, we obscure God's grace in our lives. When we pretend like we're not vulnerable, we're really acting like we're ashamed of the grace that God has given to us. It's God's work. Let the cracks show. That's, that's where God is active. That's where he's working. So don't hide your brokenness. I remember a, a friend, the first friend I ever had that, that um, told me he struggled with homosexual desires. I remember that conversation very clearly because we were sitting on the beach and we were part of a ministry together and he said, I've struggled with homosexuality. And I remember think, thinking as I was sitting with him, this is where God's working. As he was vulnerable with me, I was like, God is doing something here. And it wasn't my struggle, so this was easy for me to say. I was like, you've got to share that with everybody because God is active here. God is healing you, and he's doing amazing things. And, of course, that's a little harder to do when you're the one struggling. Um, but for me, it was, it was, again, it was a breath of fresh air. God is active. God is working. And the places of brokenness are the places where I can see God most clearly in my own story. My struggles with pornography, as I've shared, with loneliness and shame, with pride, these are places where I can look and point, this is what God has done in my life. It's my brokenness. There are other things where I look back and I go, yeah, I did that pretty well, didn't I? But not in my brokenness. Not in my shame, not in my sin. That's where God has worked. That's where he's done it. So our job is to live thankful, spirit-dependent, openly broken lives. This is the new covenant. Let the glory of God show through you as he does his work in your life and as he empowers you to live the life that he has called you to. Christ has suffered our condemnation and death and his spirit is in us, making us righteous, giving us life and revealing the glory of God through us. This is the work of the Lord and he has done it. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise for all of the glorious work you have done in history, revealing yourself in the old covenant and then even more fully in the new. We praise you for sending us your son and for giving us life in him. We praise you for the awesome gift of your spirit who is making us new and who's bringing you glory in the middle of the brokenness of our lives. There's no one like you, God. We praise you and ask that you would reveal your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.